Well, the man who pleaded guilty in the disappearance of two Craig County teens was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman have not been seen since 1999. And this man here, Ronnie Busick, pleaded guilty in July to a lesser charge of accessory to murder in exchange for information about the girl's remains. Authorities searched a remote area of Pitcher early this morning, or I should say earlier this month, after Busick suggested that could be where the girls were buried. Investigators say they did not find anything. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcast, and Killer Podcast production. We are very lucky to be joined by the one and only Nick of True Crime Garage, and I am happy to have you on the show, Nick. Welcome back. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me here. You know this is one of my favorite venues to come and flap my gums and uh, have a good conversation, true crime conversation with my old pal, Bill. You know, we used to talk, what, about once a month, and uh, you became Mr. Outdoorsman, and now uh, you have no time for, for Nick. Well, that that is far from true, Mr. Uh, I have uh, got books and TV appearances and, uh, you know, lots of things on the schedule that you're a pretty busy man. So, you know, it comes with the territory when you're running a successful show like True Crime Garage. Yeah. And you know what? I talking about True Crime Garage, I did a collaboration with Aaron from Generation Y. You know, they're one of my favorite podcasts and uh and so we talked about the Carnell Sledge case, and that case is still unsolved. This is from your neck of the woods. Carnell Sledge, Catherine Brown, uh, they were killed June 4th, 2019 in a public park in the middle of the day in the Cleveland Metro Parks. And I actually learned about this case from your show. You know, when the case broke, you came out and released uh, at least one or two episodes on this case and had the press conference, uh, which was really interesting, the words that they were choosing to use. I was a little disappointed because I felt like the the Metro Parks police chief, I'm sure she's very capable and very up to speed on most cases, but I really felt like in this press conference, the, hey, um, this is an open investigation. We can't answer that question. I think she was leaning on that and use that as a bit of a crutch because I don't think she knew the information herself. You know, a lot of times the, uh, the, the person that is doing the press conference is not the person that's leading the investigation. And that appeared to be the case here. So uh, I called you up, right? I called you up and you did me a favor because I said, Hey man, I am, I'm looking at this case. I, I don't know why it's dropped out of the media. It used to be, uh, it, it was a hot thing, a hot story for the media for a long time in Northeast Ohio. And then all of a sudden, boom, dropped off a cliff, really nothing in the media for a while. So I called up my good friend, Bill from who killed knowing that you're from the, the greater Rocky river area, Northeast Ohio. And I said, Hey, mm -hmm. tell me what you've heard. What was, what was word on the streets? What were the, what was the rumor? What was the local scuttlebutt about this case? Because we found on true crime garage with the hundreds of cases that we've looked into these ones that go unsolved for years. Typically there's some kind of rumor that comes out very early on in the investigation period. And a lot of times when they end up solving the case 
or having some kind of answers years later, we find out that that rumor that, that was kind of bouncing around has some truth to it, that there, you know, sometimes where there's smoke, there is fire. So I called you up and I said, hey, what were you hearing? What what do you know? And I, I have to thank you for that uh, because it, it helped me a, a great deal when I got together with Aaron to record that episode for True Crime Garage. Yeah, I was absolutely uh, happy to help. And it is definitely uh, someplace that I used to run by. Uh, it's only a few miles from my home. Uh, I do believe that there is, uh, you know, one of those cases where somebody knows something. It was such a crowded area that day. It's one of those really sad cases where you just don't have the answers when you think it should be so easily solved, and it is not. Uh, I was happy to help. Did you guys come across anything that we didn't discuss or anything new that, you know, the listeners should know that have heard of this case? Well, one thing that we did discuss that you and I did not, the the tip that was mailed in, you know, they somebody wrote out a tip, mailed a letter to, uh, I believe it was the media rather than the Metro Parks, uh, rather than the police. And so the media receives this tip. And I had told you on the phone, I said, you know, the way that this tip reads, because I, I was able to get a hold of a couple of pages of this letter, I believe it was a three page letter. I was able to read about approximately two pages of this three page letter. And I had told you on the phone, I said, the way that this thing reads, the words that are on this page it sounds to me the way that a tarot card reader or a psychic uh, would would read kind of a vision or a premonition that they're having. And because at one point in the letter, it says something like, I'm having a difficult time with the person's name. You know, not not something that you would hear somebody say as if they were actually physically there and present when it took place. But this vision that this individual was having they're describing it almost as if they were at the park that day or trying to see what went down that day. And so I had said to you, I said, I said, I, I think this is might be a psychic uh, or some kind of reader that is uh, mailing in this tip. And the other thing, too, you and I both agreed on was law enforcement didn't seem to be very interested in this tip, which is which was a little bit telling as well. Um, and I know that mm -hmm. I, I kind of just smeared them at the top of your show here, but I. I do believe that they're doing some good work on this investigation. I, I like that some other agencies are involved. I if, if this were me and I were in charge of the Metro Parks, I would probably see if I could get one of these other agencies to take the case over completely. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, th that's just my humble garage opinion. Anyway, before we hit record, I was able to confirm and Aaron was able to confirm that it was in fact a, a person that said that they were doing a psychic reading and this was the information that they had come up with. So made sense that as far as the media goes, that the media was interested in this tip, but law enforcement didn't seem to be so interested in the tip. Now, one thing you and I found interesting about the tip was that the person was saying that the killer was a woman uh, and described the clothing that they uh, would have been wearing at the time and said that there was a, uh, an eyewitness at the park that day that may have been with the woman. Um, but again, with this being a psychic reading, uh, or some kind of premonition that this individual had before sending in the letter, um, you know, it doesn't carry a whole lot of weight, uh, that tip. 
and they have identified the person that sent the tip in. So that person has been interviewed and vetted and all that good stuff. But uh, it's a strange, it's a strange case. And one thing that was weird about that tip though, too, was that that was one of the local rumors, right? That it might have been a former girlfriend or somebody that was close to Carnell Sledge at some point. Uh, he was a very popular uh, dude and had a lot of friends and had a lot of lady friends and he was well liked. Uh, he he was a very giving and caring person. Uh, I believe he yeah, was yeah a he was a teacher. He was a, he was a big part of the community. He helped uh, he helped with uh, young folks that had challenges, physical challenges, mental ch- mental challenges, uh, and with with sports and things like that. So you can see he was easily liked uh, just by his actions. And so there was a, a rumor at the time that you had told me about that, that maybe it was a, a jealous either ex-friend or ex-girlfriend of Carnell's that might be responsible. It's a, you know, Delphi, Indiana, the, the Delphi double murders, Carnell Sledge, Catherine Brown at the Cleveland Metro Parks, June 4th, 2019, broad daylight, both cases in, in a park setting, uh, the girls in Delphi, the trail system here, Carnell Sledge, Kathleen Brown, pretty much over by a, a, a park bench right near the river. Living there, it is very, very populated, especially at the time of the killings. So, again, I just am at a loss for why there is not a witness because the bodies were discovered within minutes of the shooting by a kayaker. So what's the deal with that exactly and if you want to listen to that episode in in its entirety that's me and Aaron from the Generation Y podcast and we titled that one Cleveland Metro Parks Murders episode 660 on your true crime garage listening dial that one thing that you and I found fascinating was that there we would expect there to be eyewitnesses given the time of day that it took place, but we would be 100% convinced that we would have some ear witnesses. It was under a bridge and it, the way that it echoes, the it's a valley. And if people aren't familiar, which most people are not, that the way that the Metro Parks is designed, is it, it, there's a river that runs dozens of miles and it's the Rocky River and it just kind of meanders through Northeast Ohio. And there are about 85 foot tall shale cliffs surrounding it so even if they weren't under a bridge which they were the sound of a gun going off would have echoed that either leads you to believe that there was a silencer involved which would be a whole nother level of killing kind of takes away that like random killing and Otherwise, it's just like, how are there not eyewitnesses or ear witnesses, like you said? If it were, I'm I'm sitting here now, 2023, and I'm thinking, if this were random, if this were just some kind of hate crime, if this was just some kind of uh, would be terrorist, I guess we could say, I think we might have seen another similar kind of attack or or murder, and usually these types. They want to claim some kind of uh, they want to claim it uh, as as their action, as their murder that they created by design. And so we as far as I know, that's not taking place. It's not happened here in this case. 
And it, so if it were personal, which most of these homicides are, you have to believe that. If, so from my understanding, and this was Aaron's belief as well, and he had some proof to kind of back this up, was that this was an unexpected, this was not a, a meeting that was arranged days prior. This is something that probably was a little more came about throughout that day. They probably traded some texts and said, hey, could you meet me real quick? We know that neither of the victims appear to have been robbed. That would indicate that it's not so much of a random person just looking for an opportunity out there in the park. Uh, his, We know his laptop was found in his car, so his car wasn't vandalized or broken into. But that makes me believe if it was personal and this was not a meeting that, that was well known about, I would think that because everything went down so fast, right? You and I were talking, it's like 15 minutes roughly between the time that our victims arrive at the park and then they're dead. And then that's even like a stretch. I mean, it might even be shorter because we have some indication from law enforcement at what time the victims arrived at the park. And now to throw a wrench in this a little bit, it's my understanding that Catherine Brown went there often that she went to this park a lot. This was a place that she would typically meet people. Uh, She would meet her mother and other family members. Uh, Her and Carnell, from my understanding, were longtime friends and had known each other for years. I I believe it was over a decade. And um, so it wouldn't be out of the question that she would request him to meet her there. And that's how I kind of envisioned this going down, knowing that she frequented this park, this area, and would often meet with friends and relatives there. So if this is personal, you have to believe that one of them may have been followed to the park. And if they're followed to the park, well, we have some indication of where the two victims came from before they arrived at the park. And some police departments, not all of them, but some of them are doing gangbusters work with these little cell phones that everybody's everybody's carrying around these days. And, you know, we talk about DNA solving cases so much on podcasts and you see it constantly on TV. And we're very thankful and, and hopeful about that technology going forward. And, and we're living in a day and age where every week you tu- turn on your computer and you find out they just solved another 20, 30, 40, 50 year old homicide case. So that's absolutely brilliant. But they're starting to solve a lot of these cases. We've seen this now for over 10 years. They're, they're solving a lot of these cases because of cell phones. People are carrying them around, you know, uh, and, and so the, there's tracking devices on so many of us with these cell phones. And some of these departments, I've seen it in a couple cases already where they're, they're using cell phone technology to say, okay, we've, we've reached out to X number of cell phone providers, service providers, and they're telling us, hey, Bill, you see all these dots right here at the, at the Metro Park on June 4th, 2019? in the uh, afternoon hours around 5 p.m. You see all these dots? Each one of these dots is a different phone, cell phone, that was present at the park that day, at the Fairview Park that day, and at this time period. Well, if you know where both of these individuals came from, 
you could you could run a check on what dots i.e. cell phones were uh, in those locations at that time prior to both of them arriving at the at the park i would want to see right because for you have you have three locations you have the fairview park you have wherever Catherine brown came from wherever carnell sledge came from and it's believed he may have left work and went straight from work to the park area so you're going to have Catherine's cell phone dot you're going to have carnell's cell phone dot at the fairview park Whose cell phone dot was at Fairview Park with Catherine Brown and Carnell Sledge at 5 p.m. on June 4, 2019, that also was at a location that one of them were prior to arriving at the park that day? If you ran that technology and, and you did that, I, I guarantee I would I would wager a Franklin, my friend, that we would find the killer. Yeah, you know, we've seen actually recently just I had a case in Arvada here where I live where we had some kids or we didn't know what they were, but there were multiple rock throwing incidents with, you know, heavy duty land, uh, like landscaping rocks that were tossed from a moving vehicle. So what they did was they had all these incident reports and then they did exactly what you said. They went and did it digitally. They traced what phones were in that area at that time. And they were able to come up with a, pretty practical and pretty uh, real-time tale on what these kids were up to, and they arrested three 18-year-olds within five days and then charged them with first-degree murder because they were literally trying to kill somebody. Those, that became national news. It was Yes, it was very much and national I, news. When yeah. I saw that, and I look, I'm somebody that kind of, unless I'm, I'm getting the news on Twitter or on you know random pop-ups on the Internet, I kind of try to shield myself from the news because we we follow so much true crime we read and and research these cases every week and then you at the end of your work day you know that this can be depressing and heavy stuff and at the end of the work day you flip on the news and it's nothing but stories that anger and sad you um sadden you so uh sometimes i shield myself from it but i happen to catch the news that night and i thought wow i mean you knew the nature of the crime that it was probably teenagers. It's exactly what I thought right away. I mean, it's just clear as day, but it, you know, 18, I was thinking maybe 14, 15 year olds, you know, don't know any better. Yeah. 18. You should, should you're 18. You're doing something nefarious. I can remember, uh, when, when I'm, I must've been 15 or 16. And I think, um, a couple kids walking over by the bridge said to me that they were going to throw rocks or something off of the bridge. And I thought, I for I'm not gonna lie, we're I was young and dumb like the rest of us, and for half a second I thought about going with them because I didn't think of the severity of the situation. Uh, but very quickly I realized no, I, I I had recalled a a story that I heard of somebody dropping a rock and off of a bridge and it going through a windshield and and had disastrous effects. I don't know if it killed the person, but. Uh, horrible story being from ohio with overpasses everywhere i mean there's overpasses in most we don't have tons of overpasses mm. here at least not in my part of the front range uh, this was something where they were actually driving and throwing it at other vehicles coming the opposite direction so it was just and then they went back and took a picture of the car that crashed and had the girl dead in it it's just yeah disgusting. they had one of the i believe it was one of the survivors you know one or two of the the people that were victimized by these 
maniacs that survived the situation, thankfully, they were able to tell police, you know, this didn't happen from an overpass. This this was a, a passing vehicle. I mean, kudos to them for, for busting these guys so quickly because this is, it's a very dangerous situation, right? You, you, if they so vulnerable, right. And if you, if they see it, if the perpetrators see it on the news, you hope that they go, Oh my God, I had no idea that this could happen. And they stop doing that. Or you have the reverse of that where they get a huge kick out of it and decide to increase the activity, uh, the dangerous activity. So, um, yeah, that I'm telling you it, these, these, the departments, the police departments that don't know, they need to be brought up to speed. I, I don't know if it's going to be the FBI or state police that bring them up to speed in some of these jurisdictions, but these cell phones and tracking these cell phones is is an easy way to uh, identify persons that were at the crime scene when these crimes take place. And, and so I hope that everybody adopts and opens this, uh, welcomes this new strategy with open arms and, and encourages their detectives to, to employ this tactic. And, you know, we talked about this on true crime garage with a, with a case that took place. Uh, I think it was out in, uh, Idaho, but the, the victim, the, had a lot of communication with their, with the killer via text message the day of the murder. And the carrier, and I, I won't say what what who the carrier was because I I'm going off a of memory here and I don't want to get it wrong and blast the the wrong people, you know. Because law enforcement out there investigating the case subpoenaed her. She's the victim, right? The murder victims, cell phone records, and. I guess per the law, they had like 30 or 31 days, the cell phone carrier to get the information back to law enforcement and very like almost begrudgingly the cell phone carrier handed them the report at the last minute, like on the 30th day. And it's like, and they used, they used that information and solved. They made an arrest within 48 hours of getting that information. So what in the hell? Like, I, like I'm sitting here reviewing that and thinking, okay, I get it, right? Like, self, these carriers, they want to tell their clients, their customers, we have your privacy. Your privacy is of great concern to us. Okay, well, then stop all the damn robocalls that go to my phone daily. Um, if you truly cared about my privacy, you'd figure out a way to make that stop. But they don't. No kidding. Right. They they want to pretend and, and create the facade that they, that they have your privacy at heart. But at the end of the day, they have your dollars uh, at heart. And the the thing the thing here is, shouldn't your so a service you pay for monthly, you would think that somebody over there would have a brain and say, you know what, we should have our customer, our client's best interest in mind at all times. Right. And so wouldn't, if you were a murder victim, wouldn't be, wouldn't it be in your best interest that they find your killer? And here we have this in the community's best interest. Exactly. About that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if they get murdered and you have 30 days to get the uh, cell phone records, well, that's 30 days that this potential killer has to 
kill some more. They arrest this loser. He's, you know, I say loser because he's a killer, not because of his job, but he's delivering pizzas and turns out he's driving around with the murder weapon with the gun that he killed her with in his car delivering pizzas. So, yeah, if he pulled the trigger and, and she was somebody he did not know until that day that he killed her. So you mean to tell me for that, that I, I, will, I wouldn't even believe it for 30 seconds that this guy wouldn't be capable of just pulling up and blowing away a perfect stranger. And, and so, yes, in the murder victim's best interest, yes, in the public's best interest, in the police's best interest, turn, don't be a dick. Turn over the cell phone records in a timely manner so that they can do their work. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's nonsense. It's uh, it's just tomfoolery is what I would say. I mean, it's just if you have the opportunity to solve a crime and you committed a murder as far as this customer goes, your privacy went out the window the day you committed the murder. Sorry. Well, no, it the the privacy, the the records they oh, were requesting right. was, the was the victim. murder victims. Right. Which makes no sense that they would hold that up at all. And that is absolutely ridiculous. And I would say that any cell phone carrier should put the interests of the community ahead of their privacy standards. I mean, we've seen iPhones get hacked by the government because the Apple won't comply, even though it has a terrorist implication. You know, it's a very slippery slope. I don't want, I guess I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole because there's a whole lot of privacy issues that come into play. But in this situation, I would agree. And it's also kind of like the way they tracked Brian Koberger in the Idaho case as well. They did cell phone data with that one as part of the way that they arrested him. So it seems to be becoming more prevalent at least. Well, and yes. And then back to our Carnell sledge, Catherine Brown case, the one thing that upset me in that case too, is, you know, you, you, you're, unfortunately your murder investigation is only as good as the detective that whose desk, the file lands on at the end of the day. And we have some very detailed information, right? Like some of the information that's coming out from the Metro Parks Police Department is a very specific time, almost down to a, a minute or two of when the victims arrived at the park. Well, if they have it at such a precise time, how do they have it at such a precise time? Because typically eyewitnesses are not saying at 5.03 on June 4th, 2019, I saw this vehicle pull in and this uh, description of a male get out of the vehicle. You know, typically eyewitnesses are saying right around five o'clock or sometime between five and five thirty. So when they say a very specific time like that, I wonder, did they have some kind of surveillance footage? Be be it somebody's ring doorbell. I, I wouldn't probably not a ring doorbell camera given the area uh, that they would have pulled no. into. But you have businesses, right? Don't you have businesses somewhat in that area that would? N yes, no, but on I mean, the, the way to the, the park. Yes, like the Metro Parks are its own thing, and it is. There are very few, if any, restaurants. I mean, there's a restaurant near the end of the river, but that's like a couple miles down. And then there's golf courses, you know, to the uh, south of where they were. So those are the only real 
functioning activities that are going on down there. But before you go into the park, there are a couple entrances where there are some businesses, but a lot of them are actually pretty private. So you really wouldn't have many opportunities to catch them on a surveillance camera knowing the area. Because, I mean, there are literally, where they're located, six to seven different in and outs within mm-hmm. five miles. And they're all kind of like just off the beaten path. They're not, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that case totally flusters me because one, uh, my family member, one of my family members know, knew Carnell. It is definitely one of those cases that feels like it should be solved. And it happened in my neighborhood basically. So I feel like it should be pretty important to find the perpetrator, but yeah, these were, these were good people from good families. I know that uh, Catherine's uh, family has put up a lot of reward money for information in the case. So uh, when you see a large reward, just know that a lot of that is coming directly from the families involved. Um, and, so that's that's not that's not uh, some big agency or big company putting up the a lot of money. This is hardworking people and families putting up uh, money for for information. So that's a that's a case that we hope to see solved uh, soon and, and and make some headway on that case soon. The, the another aggravating one is one that we just covered on True Crime Garage and released this week. So we titled the episode, The Bible and Freeman Kidnappings and Murders. And that's because we learned years later. So this is a case from December 30th, 1999, out of a small area of Oklahoma called Welch, Oklahoma. Uh, And this is practically in the northeasternmost corner of, of the great state of Oklahoma. But back in 1999, right before the turn of the century, uh, we have Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman. They're 16 years old. Ashley Freeman turned 16 the day before on the 29th. She had been 16 for one day. And she had her best friend. These these two were like been great friends for years. They're always seen together. To me, when I first saw pictures of Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman, uh, they, I thought they were cousins. They even look alike to me. And, uh, they're both 16 at the time celebrating Ashley Freeman's birthday Bible, lore Bible staying the night over Ashley's house with, uh, the Freeman parents. They went out to dinner. They had some friends over, uh, that night, but after everybody left, something terrible happened and it's still, It's a solved case, but it's weird because there's so much mystery left within this solved case. And it took forever to solve this case. Um, And what you were alluding to there, Bill, was there was rumor that this was a a drug case or or some kind of drug deal or something involving drugs that just went completely south, went bad, big in a big, bad way. And what we ended up learning in 2018. So they started making some, we, we have that night where a passing motorist sees the house on fire. Now this is a bit, a large property. Um, and when firefighters respond, they find Ashley Freeman's mother dead in the home. 
And they very quickly determined that it wasn't the fire that had killed her, that she had been shot to death. And now the husband's missing and the two girls are missing. The daughter and her friend, Laura Bible. And it was weird because the local rumor at the time, very early on, that, that it was something to, to involve drugs uh, or the father was responsible that he had killed the mother and fled with the two girls or this is weird. Law enforcement was responsible. And this is because there was some beef between the Freemans and law enforcement because a year prior local law enforcement had killed their, the Freeman's son. Uh, he was, he was a bad kid, uh, always in trouble. And there was some kind of altercation with him being in a stolen vehicle where the officer, he says that uh, the Freeman kid was reaching for a gun uh, and it was determined that he did have a gun on his person. And uh, the so he was shot and killed at the scene. And so the thought was that there was some kind of beef between the Freemans and law enforcement. So there were all these rumors that took place. Well, one thing that, that law enforcement did not do a great job of was they, after removing Ashley Freeman's mother's body from the scene, Kathy Freeman, they, they just left the crime scene open to anybody. They didn't secure the crime scene and the Bible family. They're there trying to, they're there the next day trying to figure out, let's find any clue as to where our daughter could be after this fire, after this murder took place. They're the ones that find the body of Danny Freeman still in the home. Now, in the defense of law enforcement and the firefighters, they, you can't defend them not securing the scene. But the amount of debris and destruction from the fire, this body was well concealed. And it was in the middle of the night, so let's... Here's here's a weird thing, too. You have to... I, I like to play the what-if game a lot. You have to wonder, what if... They had secured the scene. How long would it have been before they found the body of Danny Freeman or, or would they have never found the body of D Danny Freeman? Uh, because that that was one of the strong theories in the case very early on in the investigation. Well, as soon as you find Danny Freeman's body, you know that that theory is completely wrong. And we the case gets some movement in 2016 and 2017 behind the scenes. And this leads to an arrest in April of 2018 of a one Ronnie Busick or Ronnie Busick. I've heard his last name said a couple different ways. But uh, Ronnie Busick then told law enforcement a couple things. He said, you know, this is how everything went down. Me and these two other individuals went there that night to collect on a debt. And uh, things went sideways we ended up shooting and killing the parents and we were going to burn down the house to hide the evidence. And when they're in the process of burning the house down, they find 16 year olds, Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman. And these monsters decide to, uh, you know, I, okay. You, you hear leave no witnesses. All right. I w believe it or not, Bill, and this seems very weird to say this. 
I would have had more respect. I have no respect for these individuals. It'd be tough to have any respect for them at all. But, but I could, I could have maybe an ounce of respect for them if they would have just did away with the eyewitnesses then and there. But no, here's what these monsters decided to do. They decided to abduct the two girls, take them with them, and they chose these, the, keep in mind, these are actions that these individuals chose to do. They chose to go, uh, they chose to be involved in drugs. They chose to cook and sell methamphetamines. They chose to go and collect on a debt that night, or so they say. You, you right? You know, the, the, the victor gets to write the history books. Um, and so we don't, who knows? The Freemans don't get a say in the matter. There's none of them left to tell us what happened, their side of the story. And so these these monsters tell us that they went to go collect on a debt that night. They killed the Freeman parents. They chose to kill the Freeman parents. They chose to burn down the house. They chose to abduct these two young, innocent girls. And they held them and tortured them for days before what Ronnie Bussick says, that they, that they then killed them and disposed of the bodies. Now, he's arrested in April of 2018. And as, unfortunately, law enforcement did not have much on this guy other than these eye and ear witnesses that over the years, right? These were three bad dudes. Uh, people say that they had seen and heard things over the years. So that was all of their evidence. It, a lot of it was kind of hearsay. So law enforcement is forced to make a deal with the devil, Ronnie Busick. Why? Because the other two maniacs that were involved in this they're not around anymore they they both passed away uh these guys were all involved in drugs and and so they lived kind of fast and hard lives um i, I believe one of the individuals died of als which i think is a pretty uh, uh traumatic thing to to experience and sorry but it couldn't have happened to a better guy um the the other two were uh phil welch and David Pennington and Phil Welch was described by many people in town as evil. In fact, he was a neighbor of the Freemans and his, he was the nearest neighbor to them. He lived almost a mile away. So that tells you how uh, big this area is and how few people there are. Right. And they took them back to Phil Welch's home. According to Ronnie Busick, that's the way everything went down. Now, he, they are forced to make a deal with the devil here. Ronnie's the only one that's left. Pennington's dead. Phil Welch is dead. And the deal that was made was, from my understanding, he was to get 15 years in prison, five years probation after that 15 years. And his part of the deal was to tell them everything that happened and, and lead them to the remains of Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman. Uh, two girls that d they didn't get a proper burial. They've never been brought home. Their families are still left. Even with this case being solved and, uh, and adjudicated against Ronnie Busick, they're still left with all these questions. Very little answers. And really very little justice, too, for the Freeman family and for Laura Bible. And I'm sad to say 
that we had to do a, a, an episode on this story because we were outraged. The captain and I were outraged to learn that on May 19th, remember he was arrested in 2018, April 2018. The case was done and through the court system by July of, of 2020. And they gave him credit for that two years that he sat in jail while he was waiting for his trial. Okay, I can I can get on board with that. But that was 2020. Now it's May 19th, 2023. Well, I, I say now it's May 19th. It's We are in the month of May, but this coming May 19th, they are releasing Ronnie Busick back into the general public. And his five years probation has been reduced to one year. So if you live in the northeastern corner of Oklahoma, just know that in about eight days time, you will have a man on your streets that has admitted to murdering, participating in the murders of four people, the abduction of two children, the rape and torture of those children, and an arson to cover up the evidence of murders and abduction. He's going to be walking around on your streets. Um, for one year, for 12 months, he'll have to check in with a PO, but he is free to harm again. And the, the thing here is, this is so aggravating because what we've been told by the, by the leaders in, in Oklahoma is that, you know what, Ronnie Bussock's in poor health. He's 71 years old. He's, he's not a threat anymore. Well, the best indication of future action is previous is past actions, right? Yeah. Um, his behavior, uh, past behavior has told us that if he's breathing, he's probably a threat and he committed these crimes with other individuals who knows what other bad seeds he, and, and uh, relationships with bad people that he maintained throughout the years. So, I don't believe for a second that he's not a threat. Uh, what I, what I believe is probably that his medical care is extensive and inexpensive and maybe the state doesn't want to pay for it anymore. And it's, it's cheaper for them to release this guy, but it's also not about him being a threat. I don't care if he had no arms or legs and couldn't talk, but, it's not about that. It's about justice and it's about the punishment fitting the crime. And, and I cannot believe, and I will not ever believe that five years jail time, right? He's, he's going to be one month over five years jail time and one year of probation to, uh, serve for all of these murders. And, I mean, it's just, it's an outrage. um, And I don't know that there's any way to stop. It's basically, to me, it it seems like the justice system just kind of wants to be done with this guy and they want to move on. And I do think there may be some value to what you were just saying about them not wanting to pay for the medical expenses. The fact that he is 71 now makes you wonder how do they think he's not a threat if he is released from prison we've seen other individuals released from prison who do go on to commit crimes that have been older than this individual 
And it's not like people go to jail and become less like a criminal. They go to jail and become more like a criminal. It, it's basically more sophisticated yeah, because it's criminal. basically criminal school. I mean, you're just hanging out. It's not like you're getting rehabilitation. You know, they can say whatever you want to say it is, but it's not that. And there's a lot of issues with our justice system. That's a whole nother series. But clearly what we have going on here is someone who participated, but we don't even know what the participation level was. It's only going off of what he says he did. And these other individuals may have been just the lackeys and this guy was the ringleader. Right. That, that that's the thing that, that I have trouble with too. He's the only one to tell us what happened, how it went down, his level of response, you know, responsibility in the whole situation. And I, frankly, I don't really care if even, even let's for, for half a second, let's just say, you know what? Fine. Uh, Fine. We'll we'll choose to believe you for a second here, buddy boy. And maybe you weren't the mastermind or you weren't the leader of this group. But at no time, sir, did you ever say, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, right? At no time did you ever say, stop. At no time did you ever turn these guys in when they were still alive. Um, at no time did you tell these families what happened to their daughters to their, to their loved one. At no time did you, did you do any of these things? You, you chose to do all the bad stuff, but you didn't choose to do any of the good stuff. So here we are. We're all right. Hang on, Bill. I got a surprise all for right. you. So here we have a moment where we get interrupted by true crime live, a Bob Ruff show. And it is interesting. I'm going to play just a couple clips. They were doing a promotion for Nick's book. Here we go. Celebrity drop in. Let me get, let me... That, get those cats out of there. Yeah, let, let me let me stop my <laughs> screen share. Come back. Can you hear that? Look at this. It's the one and only Nick Edwards from True Crime Garage. Are Holy you kidding me? Shit. Hey guys. I'm in the middle of doing Bill Huffman's show. Hey guys. Who killed? <laughs> <laughs> Are you in the middle of another show? Yeah, let me hear. Let me take off the headphones so everybody can hear everybody. This is amazing. <laughs> So yeah, I got I, this is weird, yeah, right? Yeah, look at that. But uh, so, wow. <laughs> Bob Ruff, what's the name of your show, Bob? Uh, this is True Crime Live. Uh, True Crime Live on YouTube. Uh, True Crime Live. All right. Welcome. Well, and I'm doing Who Killed with with Bill Huffman um, right now as well. So uh, worlds colliding. Good to see you, Bob. <laughs> it's like a crime con reunion. Hey, Bill. Uh, who are there? There's two people there. They have a co-host. What else is going well, on there? No, that's you're seeing a picture of me on the screen <laughs> next that's to Bill. You. I was gonna say that guy looks just like <laughs> you. Yeah, he, he's he's cloned me, and and he's just gonna have a co-host uh, to tag along. The Laura Bible, yeah, the Laura Bible and uh, Ashley Freeman case. That's what Bill and I were just talking about as well. Is it? Yep. Yeah. This be- is a crazy. I, I listened to your guys's episode about this. It was what was it like 2019, 2020? You did a couple. Yeah, 2017, we did an episode on it. And then we did a follow-up uh, in 2020 when Ronnie Busick was arrested and ad- admitted to his involvement in four homicides. And now, three years later, on May 19th, they're going to let him out. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, not even three years, because it was like July, right? When he was convicted. 
Yeah. So, I mean, he kills four people. He He's involved in the murders of four people and, and the crimes, the horrificness of the crimes go well beyond just four murders, but he, he does five years for four murders because they gave him credit for the two years that he was in jail leading up to the trial. So he didn't even get two years per murder victim. Uh, he will be out uh, because they had very little on him. They had to make a deal with the devil. The The families and the community was told that he would get 15 years in prison and he would get five years probation. What ended up happening was that 15 years got reduced to 10 and now it's been reduced to five because of good behavior. Um, amazing how five years of good behavior when you're locked up and can't hurt anybody uh, trumps all of the bad behavior that you did to land your ass there in the first place. And so it, it, it's it's disgusting. Uh, we, we're told by leaders in Oklahoma that he's no longer a threat because he's 71 and he's in poor health. Uh, yeah, why don't you ask the people that he's going to live next door to uh, if if they think he's a threat or not? Because it's not, it doesn't matter what some politician tells us that lives in a, a gated community or has security around the clock uh, in the best health care, what, what kind of, what they think is a threat. Uh, you know, that is very typical, uh, NIMBY behavior, not in my backyard, right? It's, it's okay. As long as it's not in my backyard. Uh, and I, I'm worried and Bill and I were just discussing this. I'm worried that the concern is that he's in poor health and maybe the state doesn't want to pay for his medical expenses anymore. So now they're going to, they're going to make it, release them to the public. Oh, it's the public's problem. And now you have these families who were lied to. He didn't serve 15 years. He didn't, he, he got 10 and he didn't even serve 10 years. And you know, in Ohio, thankfully, one thing that we got going for us here in Ohio is we do let you out for good behavior, but you're typically, if you're a violent criminal, you're going to serve 80% of your sentence. Uh, I'm sorry, five years. He he got 50% of his sentence and now he's going to be out. He's going to be free. And I don't believe for a second that he's, that he's not a threat. Keep in mind, he committed these murders and these horrible crimes with other individuals that he had committed criminal activity with leading up to these murders. And who's to say what bad dudes that he knows and of relationships that he's held with horrible people throughout his life that he still knows that are still in the area. Uh, so he's, as long as he's breathing and talking, this dude is a threat. And, and let's take it a step further. Part of his deal was to lead law enforcement to the remains of these two 16 year old girls, teenage children were killed by it, tortured and killed by this guy and his friends. And he's going to be released and he never led them to where their bodies are. Now, supposedly, the, as the story goes, he either does not know because he wasn't present when the bodies were dispo uh, disposed of, or he's had some kind of, he, he does have some documented memory issues because he, he spent so much of his life uh, on drugs. You know, him and his friends were making, manufacturing, and selling methamphetamines. And so uh, he has some kind of brain damage from from that uh, time in his life. But, you know, Did he ever serve time for that? He that's a good question. He may have at some point. Uh, he, but it, it, it's it is it's an absolute mess. And I know that the, the community is devastated. 
And so what we're hoping, and we don't live in Oklahoma, so our hands are tied a little bit, but what we're hoping is to bring awareness to this. This should be not a podcast story. This should be a national news story because it's a huge problem for the whole state of Oklahoma that you can't, that, that people are accessories to murder. People are involved in murders, torture, rape of children, abduction of children, and they don't even serve, uh, five and a half, six years, 10 years, 20 years. They a five year sentence in your state of Oklahoma for this type of activity is an outrage. And there's nothing that's going to stop Ronnie Busick from getting out May 19th of this year, just here in eight days. But what we're hoping is if we bring enough awareness to this and, and put a spotlight on this now that we can change things in the future for Oklahoma and for other states that are not, uh, making these criminals, these violent offenders, serve 80, 85% of their sentence. Yeah, th- listen, and, and let's be clear. I've never understood this case from back in the beginning of how, you know, they, they had to make a deal with them because they didn't have evidence. He fucking confessed. He they confessed. know he did it, yeah. Yeah, they know he did it. He confessed to doing it. And, and, and who else he did it with, which the other two people have already have already passed away. And then they and then they cut him this deal. And it's And it's... Uh, similar to the Pinion Pines case, the uh, uh, two parents are shot and killed and the house burned down with them in right. it. The two uh, 16-year-old girls, were one who lived there and one was, was, was her friend, were then kidnapped, abducted, and and raped and tortured. And, and you know, that information came out from, like, like Polaroid photos they took and stuff like that. Uh, all the, all this stuff happens, and they the fact that they're making a deal with this guy, I get it. That's how the system works. They're gonna, and I hate that about the system, but they're gonna deal. But a deal should be fifty years, not ten. First of all, right? Uh, Fifteen wasn't even enough. They cut That's, it down to yeah. ten with the agreement that in the in, in exchange for the reduced sentence that he'll find the that he'll show them where the bodies are. Doesn't do it, and three less than three years after his conviction, he's walking he's walking free. And and by the way, to put that in perspective. Uh, not far from this, it's you know this is in in Oklahoma, but in East Texas, which is right down the road. Uh, Kenny Snow, one of our cases, was convicted of of robbing a man, which he was wrongfully co- accused of, but nonetheless, he was convicted of robbing a man for a thousand dollars and got a forty year print prison so, sentence for it. Yeah, so inconsistent. You, if you look at it from the outside, if you were like you you were an alien and you came down, you'd be like. Well, this doesn't make any sense at all. Like, I can't make any sense of any of this. Right. It's so bananas. And and I apologize for the weird camera angle. I'm I'm holding the my phone in hopes that that Bill can hear you through my microphone. Hey, thanks so much. Take care, guys. See you later. See ya. No, I'm 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 really glad that you had me on, Bill, and had the opportunity to to highlight some of these cases um, that are. Uh, fresh in the news. And as you and I both agreed, this, this horrible situation with Ronnie Busick getting out May 19th should be a national story. This is something that everybody should be outraged about. Um, There, there is no, there is no other opinion on this story, right? There, there is no other opinion that of, of a reasonable individual that, that this guy should just be, he should be locked up and it should be an easy win for these families uh, who are, they're in the process of meeting with people that can change the laws in Oklahoma and, and hoping that they can do that going forward. Because I think it was JFK that said, um, uh, 
an error only becomes a mistake once you refuse to correct it. So we might not be able to straighten out this Ronnie Bussick situation, but hopefully for the future Ronnie Bussicks, um, the, the future violent criminals uh, in the state of Oklahoma, if we if we can hold them accountable for their actions, for what they have done, and punish them to the fullest of the law, and and keep them uh, locked up and held. Uh, and living in in a prison rather than out and and experiencing the this wonderful world like the rest of us. The, he he does not deserve yeah. that. Um and plain and simple. And uh so it's it's aggravating. Um the the Nell Sledge Catherine Brown case that we talked about at the top of the show is aggravating that it continues to go on. I mean if you I know that nobody wants to Google anything just to to have their own heartbreak, but it to watch uh Catherine Brown's father and sister talk about her. Well, oh man, the the lump in my throat uh, watching the two of them talk about their loved one who is no longer who was taken from them, who was in a park in a freaking park in an afternoon on a beautiful day. I mean, that's you're you're Mister Outdoors now, Bill. You that's you're probably going to be in a park later today or or in some outdoor beautiful setting. I not today. It's actually pretty crappy here in Denver. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? Look, I the reason why I was running a few minutes late for the show today was I th- in the warm months here in Ohio. I I do a little bit of hiking, um, okay. and so I was out hiking, and I thought for sure that I would be home in time. And I I looked at my watch. This is one of those days that. Everything that I do seems to take 15 minutes longer than anticipated. Uh, so I, I had to had to hitch up and say, hey, Bill, I'm sorry. Can you please forgive me? Please don't cancel me. Uh, I'm going to be a few minutes late today. But I was out hiking. And um, so we're lucky to have the beautiful weather and the beautiful months, uh, warm months ahead of us. But, uh, yeah, the uh, let me do it officially on your show now. Yes, right? let, me, let me hear about this uh, latest project from one Nick Edwards. My book is out now. It's called The Delphi Murders, The Quest to Find the Man on the Bridge. And I know that there's somebody out there scratching his head going, hey, idiot, they already arrested the guy. But this is a, it, it's a book that's as much about the, the true crime story, but also the investigation that was going on and uh, in the foreword, I tell everybody exactly what to anticipate for the rest of the book. And, and simply put, as I wrote, it says portions of this book were written in real time before the arrest of Richard Allen. This murder investigation was nearly six years active before charges were filed. Here in these pages, you will find the timeline, the facts, and one man's thoughts, observations, and obsessions with an American murder investigation. Um, and that's, that's what the book is about. It will take you from, uh, start to, uh, where we are now in this case. And here we sit, uh, in in May and we're probably what, about five weeks out from the bail hearing, uh, that will take place in, uh, Indiana next month for Richard Allen. So, I know we got somebody in in cuffs. I know we got somebody that's starting the trial proceedings, uh, and and this is inching its way slowly, inching its way to trial. But um, we sit here with a man arrested, and still so many questions about this this case that really uh, became a a nationwide case because of, given the nature of the victims, uh, Libby and Abby, they um, were were out on the parks. Uh, out on the trail system that day on an unseasonably warm day 
and their lives were taken from them and they were attacked out there. And again, still so much mystery that surrounds this. The book touches on a lot of that and, and brings to light some things that some people may not have known about the, the case prior. And I think that we will start to be able to learn some of the answers to our questions as this thing moves forward. Can I ask you something about the book? Did you get a chance to um, interview any of the uh, family members? And, you know, I haven't I haven't dived into it yet. Just wanted to wonder if you had gotten anything from Kelsey or, you know, the parents, grandparents, uh, that type of stuff. I I speak about the family briefly a couple of times throughout the book Um, and mainly the the Libby's family Um, because I had. I did meet Becky and Mike Patty at CrimeCon years ago. And the thing, one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book, you know, there are about a dozen reasons to write the book, but also a dozen reasons to tell this particular story. And, but one of the major reasons I wanted to do that was because of, I was very angered at some of the things that were being said about the families online by people that had never met any of the family members that were speculating Mm -hmm. about the families uh, and saying bad things or or, uh, degrading things about them online that were just not true. And so having met them, that's what makes this story all the more tragic, right? It's, it's a incredibly heartbreaking story, an incredibly heartbreaking case. But then on top of that, it's, it's good kids from good families. The Patty's, Mike and Becky Patty stood in the true crime garage line. They could have, they could have just jumped everybody in line. Nobody would have said a word. They're nice, caring people. They stood in our line just to come up and say, Hey, you guys covered it on your show. Thank you for spreading the word. You know, they're still looking for bridge guy at the time. And Becky says to me, and, and I've man, Bill, my heart, just sunk as soon as I saw them approach our table because immediately here's what I thought. I thought we did two episodes on this case and we spent the second episode just speculating on what horrible, horrific things went down that day. And I thought, my God, I hope I owe them an apology for, for saying these things into a microphone And all I was trying to do was further the case, further the investigation when we first covered it, because we were one of the first to cover it on True Crime Garage. It was it was a pretty new case and and there wasn't much information. So not a lot of people were talking about it. You know, it took place in uh, I believe we're covering it in May of that year. And so she said to me, Bill, she said, thank you so much for covering it. I listened to episode one, but I couldn't listen to episode two. And, you know, one thing I say about the, the Patties and Kelsey and all of the family members that I've seen in interviews on TV, online, read about the interviews in the paper, um, had the opportunity to speak with Kelsey at, at, at great length on your show. Yes, um, yes, you did. She's a wonderful individual. And that's, again, that's what makes this case all the more tragic that, the, the wonderful families that they have. And look, I, you know, I believe that one's character is, should be judged is in as best judged 
in a time of tragedy. There is no bigger tragedy than what those families experienced. And to see their courage and to see the they handled themselves with with strength and with grace. Uh, and that they're better people than I am, Bill, because I would not have had the that grace. I would not have had the level of courage that they have. They are fighting for their daughters, for their granddaughters, for their nieces. They are fighting for their family member who 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 fought hard that day and and is no longer with us. So they've continued to continued the fight and they and you know what? I say this in the book. In some weird way, this case that that broke all of our hearts, that that sat in all of us and brought all of us to tears at some point when reviewing the case and the story. In some weird way, those families with the way they handled themselves with that courage and that grace taught us how we should handle this case from afar. Agreed. Yeah, the book is out now. The Delphi Murders, The Quest to Find the Man on the Bridge, available on Amazon in paperback, hardback, and on Audible. The great Kevin Pierce uh, did the narration for the book on Audible. And I'm That's awesome. I'm very I was very honored that he did the narration. A lot of people are going, Hey, you're, you're a podcaster. You're, you're, you're on mic all the time. Why were you not, uh, the voice of the book? And yeah, I get it. That makes a lot of sense. But when, when somebody tells you that the great living legend, Kevin Pierce is going to narrate the book, you don't say no, you, you just go, thank you. You say, thank you. That's the correct response. And that's yeah. how I if Ray Porter wanted to narrate my book. If, if uh, Michael Beck wanted to narrate my book, go right ahead. I am down for it because we, as much as we are on microphone, it is a different art to be yes. able to read and be a great narrator. I mean, it is a huge skill and it is awesome that you got such a big name to do your book. But then again, you've got a big show, so you kind of, you're kind of big timing and uh, heavy as the head wears the crown. So <laughs> Well, you know, it's, uh, comes with the territory, buddy. <laughs> thank you for the nice words, Bill. And thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's always a pleasure to, to see you and, and you know what, we'll do it sooner rather than later next time. De- definitely. Absolutely. Especially with everything that's going on in this world, it just seems crazier and crazier every week. So, uh, definitely won't take as long as, uh, this last time. And so. I'm trying to get my Twitter followers up. Um, yes, well, we all need, <laughs> we all could use that. Yeah, you can follow me TCGNIC, right? True Crime Garage Nick TCGNIC on Twitter. I, I want to get to four thousand. That's like a personal goal. I'm at Bill Huffman three, so check me out too. So, yeah, Nick, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate all your insight. Again, great luck with the book. I know you're gonna do gangbusters on it. Future is bright, my friend. Future is bright. So pick up the book. Let's just keep the party yep, rolling. Pick up the book and then come see me at tr- at uh, CrimeCon this year in Orlando in September. I'm hoping to sign a lot of books uh, down there at CrimeCon. And uh, I will see you there as well. So thanks again, Nick. Appreciate you. Thank you, Bill. Cheers. Cheers. Always many thanks to the one and only Nick of True Crime Garage for joining me again this week to talk about a multitude of cases. Uh, We did touch on the Alexa Bartel case. We touched on the Carnell Sledge and Catherine Brown case out of Rocky River, Ohio. We discussed the Laura 
Bible and Ashley Freeman case that is coming to a head this coming week where one of the perpetrators is actually going to be released from jail. So speak to your politicians about that if you want to see some change. But again, that is a case that is extremely crazy. You can check out that episode uh, for True Crime Garage on, I think it was episode 106 and 107, uh, but it's under the title of The Missing Welch Girls. So you can check out the latest episode that they just put out on Tuesday, which was episode 669, I believe. And that is titled Bible and Freeman. So check that out. And again, huge props to Nick for making time in his busy schedule. And check out his book again. It's the Delphi book. It's the only one on the case. And it is available wherever you get your books. And it's also available in audio form on Audible. And one more thing, Off the Record is back on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe for $5.99 per month. Check it out on Apple Podcasts. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And as always, you know I put new episodes out every Friday, and if you guys would like to donate to the show, you can do so via the Venmo app with my username at WhoKilled. And again, thank you so much for listening. And as always... Stay healthy and be safe. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.